Soy Bikini. Joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas? Well, apparently I'm in trouble. Yes, you are, but let's move on. Today is Monday, 2-12-24, and we are discussing the movie The Holdovers and its connection to Philadelphia. But before we go any further, today's episode is in memory of our beloved Tim Halloran, who left us four years ago today. We wish you were here. Agreed. We loved him. All right, Nicholas, The Holdovers. I want to break it down. Did you enjoy the movie? I was impressed with the movie. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it as much as I was impressed with it. I thought the direction and the screenplay, Paul Giamatti can do no wrong. I enjoyed it. You didn't just say that two minutes ago. So let's let's start over. The Holdovers is a 2023 American comedy directed by Alexander Payne and written by David Hemmingson. They were also the team that did Sideways. Did you see Sideways? Yes, I did. I love Sideways, but you know what? I'm You know me, I'm not... Um, puritanical, but I thought was this Thomas De Hayden Church, the guy that played um, the janitor on uh, Wings. Oh God, I, I loved Wings. I thought that the sex scene was gratuitous. Take, take a deep breath. Set in the winter of 1970, the film stars Paul Giamatti as a strict teacher at a New England boarding school who was forced to chaperone a handful of students who, with nowhere to go on Christmas break. The Philadelphia connection is Divine Joy Randolph and Dominic Sessa play the school cafeteria manager and one of the students who stays on campus respectively. So that is our tie to Philadelphia. But I want to go on. We just spoke off mic. You said you had a lot of feelings about the movie. Let's get to that right away. So there's this impulse to think that there's a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this. But let's let's just do it. I am very sensitive to portrayals of black women in media. Okay. I knew that that's the first thing you were going to say. Yeah. I, I thought the, the, the acting was great. I think the casting was great. I think the trope though, there's so much about her portrayal reminds me of the mammy. And uh, granted, I, it's, it's a little bit of a period piece. I don't know if the 1970s would count as a period piece, but let's go with that. That, we are still stuck in a paradigm of the Jezebel and the Mammy in terms of black female representation in film and television. And I felt that we fell into that trap. The Mammy is this uber nurturing, almost exclusively overweight um, black female who is kind of grounded in the voice of reason. And on paper, you'd say, well, that's fairly complimentary. However, one of the ways in which you dehumanize someone is to remove their sexuality. And one of the elements of constructing the mammy is to remove any hint of female sexuality, female attractiveness. And I, and as I get older and I notice it, I can't unsee it. What are, what are your thoughts? Let, let's just pause there because I, I don't want to go on the screen. I agree with your assessment of the portrayal, but I thought, I guess as a woman, I thought she was sexy. Okay. All right. All right. Explain. So you as a male didn't find her attractive because she's not your typical woman that you should, you, that you're attracted to, but I found her very sexy. Okay. And why? There was just something about, she had a little spice to her. The janitor, I think found her sexy. I found her absolutely stunningly beautiful inside and out. What do you so it's interesting as a male that 
you didn't find her attractive, so suddenly no one else can. No, no, no. I'm not making that kind of uh, statement. I'm not judging her. I'm very sensitive to portrayals of black people in, in media. And to me, the, the character was cut from, let's divorce the character from the actress. Do you think we can do that reasonably? Go on. Okay. The character, the, the character, excuse me, is a pastiche of all the elements of the Mammy going back to the days of minstrels. And I saw those elements and I had a, an emotional reaction to that. And maybe that emotional reaction clouded my judgment of all the different, of the additional facets of her character. But it's coming from a place of sensitivity or perhaps hypersensitivity, rather than a place of being critical or judgmental. Does that make sense? Yes, it was not funny. I was talking to a young girl I work with at my current employer, and I told her our conversation about Barbie and how you really felt it wasn't for the black community. It wasn't for men. And she actually said, and I didn't mean it, but I agreed with you. She's like, tell them to lighten up a little. And she's African-American. I said, am I sitting here defending your community? She goes, yeah, tell them to lighten up. <laughs> well, she's going to lose her shizzle when she hears this one. <laughs> and I was so startled. I was like, I can respect what you're saying. And I, and that, that's why we have opinions. Is that fair? You didn't, right. I love the character. It I guess wasn't for, a bad character. That did, let me just say, in terms of the character, uh, character portrayal, par excellence but i'm just saying there's that element of it that i just can't unsee i guess i was giving latitude only because it was said in 1970 there was a lot of badass black women doing a lot to change the world agreed so was it more that she was a mammy or that because you mentioned her sexuality i found her very sexual you found her too mammy-like. Yes. Um, and it's not that she is inherently unsexual. I think the construct of the mammy is is that. Okay. That uh, respect. Now I got what okay. you're saying. It's yep. Yes. Yes. I mean, it requires a little bit of nuance and perhaps I'm not, I'm not doing my own thesis justice in the way I'm breaking it down. However, you understand what I'm trying to get at in terms of the, the point of the mammy is to be asexual or unsexual. Whereas, you know, we, we, we contrast Mammy with the Jezebel who, you know, for God bless her heart, within the sort of historical framework of American racial perspectives, we would see like the Vanessa Williams. Is it their fault? No, but we are all thrusted into a world that was built before we came into the, we came into existence. And so we have to fall within these, um, within the framework. And so that's that's the degree of sort of critique that I'm offering. It has nothing to do with the actress herself. She's beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. But I think art is about communicating. Communicating is only effective if the message that you're sending is understood by a receiver. And the receiver can only understand based on previous information he's gotten. The legacy of black portrayal in media in the United States has not been the most complimentary. And let's be honest, she could have been cast as maybe a nurse or even the assistant to the school principal. Right. And I, I, here's the thing, too. And I'll push back on my own um, criticism. This is supposed to be 1970. So we're kind of limited in, quote unquote, realistic portrayal of black females in sort of the world that they were trying to construct. So she was boxed in. She's boxed in by my, as a viewer, she's boxed in by people like myself who have our preconceived notions or presuppositions and even our prejudices. She's boxed in by the director and the writer. 
Now I get it. And I 100% agree. Thank you. I, pre- I appreciate that. I appreciate the support. And I, and I mean that sincerely. Because yeah, it, it, it was definitely very mammy-like. And as I said, as a woman, I found her sexy, but I understand the construct in which you're saying it now. Thank you. All right. Continue. As we said, the you know, the funny and endearing, the film follows the unlikely companions, which I thought was an interesting dynamic. You know, as we said, Paul Giamatti, Mary Lamb, who is played by Divine Joy Randolph, runs the school cafeteria as she grieves her son's death in Vietnam. And I did miss this point in the movie. He was drafted, drafted after she couldn't afford to send him to Swarthmore. So there again, we have a Philadelphia connection. Philadelphia connection. And in a recent conversation, Randolph does discuss growing up in Philly's artistic community. And, you know, she is acknowledging there's a couple connections to Philadelphia now. It's Divine Joy Randolph. She is up for Best Supporting Actress. Obviously, Bradley Cooper and Maestro. And another thing that I did not realize, Coleman Domingo is also up for his roles in Rustin. So there's a lot of Philly connections in the Oscars this year, which I think is great. Listen, go Philadelphia. But I guess for me, since we always talk about community, I like the fact that they came together because what what divides us is really what we should look at is what really brings us together. In their own way, they're broken people. He is a man that's never left campus. And as I don't know how far you got, but I don't know if you got to the part where he ran into uh, a classmate from Harvard. Paul Giamatti, his character ran into a classmate for, from Harvard and Paul Giamatti's character was thrown out of Harvard because one of the richer white kids cheated on his test and he was thrown out and took the fall for him. So it was kind of like that bad thing that can happen that changes the course of your life that you never recover from. And he went back and taught at the school that he grew up in and he never he's never left campus. Yes, I was going to say I immediately picked up on this. This is a man that's really outgrown or should should have outgrown his physical environment, but he's stunted. And I think that stunted growth, that delayed growth um, manifests in anger and frustration and hatred. And, and I related to his character, not the life situation but more how quickly things can turn around. And if you don't work on digging out, you become his character. I agree. I agree. It's, it's very easy to find yourself being, I don't know, 20 something years old, maybe de- being a little bit, a little bit disenchanted and thinking, oh, I just need a little bit of time to figure things out. And the next thing you know, you're, you know, five years away from retirement and you wonder and you're starting to wonder what happened. It's it's incredibly fast and it, it's almost like a, 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 a it's almost like depression or, you know, you just kind of sink into it. And the next thing you know, all the time has passed. And then her character, of course, there was a couple references to the fact that throughout the movie that her son served in Vietnam because he was black and she couldn't afford to get him in college. I didn't realize they said Swarthmore. But again, it was that whole black Let's be honest. We know who served in Vietnam because we talk about this. Yeah. Working class white people and mostly African-American people because they could not get into college. And and there was also a program to recruit people with intellectual deficiencies. The Vietnam War was revealed the ugly side of America, the ugly side of a system that is exists to maintain capitalism. It was... You can really appreciate why so many people put their bodies on the line to defy 
um, U.S. domestic and uh, international policy in fighting that war. It was it was a heinous war. And then the last character was Dominic Sessa, who is from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. He played Angus Tully, the troubled teenager who I think was starting to struggle with the mental health crisis. You know, he was taking Librium, which that is so 1970s when I saw that um, no one takes Librium anymore. But again, it was all about three people who could have not been more different in backgrounds, but eventually found their way together to heal. Yes. And I, I love that that element of the story where they're all kind of villains in their own way. Well, except for the cafeteria manager. I mean, she's just a mother broken by the loss of her son, brought about by circumstances that she could not control. Uh, you know, she couldn't control the color of her skin and all the permutations of that reality in the 1970s. But what does it say that you are a 17 year old boy and your parents cannot find their way to make accommodations for you to come home for Christmas break? What kind of what kind of household is that? And it's funny, too, because I grew up with a lot of kids like Angus Tolley. I, You know where I grew up and, and mm -hmm. so did you. But in the 1970s, and I shouldn't say this because I know that you grew up in probably a more affluent area than I did. But all these families that had a lot of money, not all of them, but there was a very big disconnection with their children. And it, you just think that because you have money, people are going to behave better. But his character develops more and more. You realize how neglected he is. And they've all they're all characters that have been neglected through life, through circumstances out of their control. Yes, I love that word neglect. I think that word captures the primary dysfunction that the movie tries to portray. It's neglect. I think, you know, um, the cafeteria manager, she's neglected by a society that doesn't value her existence and the existence of her child. Paul Giamatti's character is neglected by a, a system, a, a hierarchy that puts others above him and he has no control over it. And the student is neglected, obviously, by parents who can seem to make or accommodate um, accommodate him in their home. It's sad, but it's also about it's also about recapturing the human spirit. And I thought that journey was really well executed uh, in terms of the dramatization. Yeah. And I think that's what you and I have talked about is as we go on in the society, the universe, we have to get back to what bring what we have in common versus what what divides us. And it's very old fashioned and I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true now as we get more and more divided into almost our little pods in life. It is more important to know what we have in common. I had an incident. I think I text you about it. Um, a worker at my employer got into a shouting match in a parking lot that you're familiar with. It was an African-American woman against a white woman and the African-American woman told the white woman, this is my parking spot. She called her a Karen and the white woman said to her, I've never been so, you know, what was the word prejudiced against? And the African-American girl turned around. She goes, well, get in line, sister. We've been, you know, marginalized for 300 years. So it's my parking spot. <laughs> and this is where we are. And when she came into work, I had to go in the back and I said, who's fighting with someone in the parking lot? And you know what? She was so angry. There's a point to this story. She was so angry and she looked at me and her face was red. I could tell her she 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 was in that space. 
of like, damn it, I'm not giving this up for you. And privately, I said to her, I said, I get it. I respect it. I'm here for you. But as a woman, I don't want you fighting with people in the parking lot. And what divides us is what we really need to look at what unites us. I said, it's just bad manners in general, but I was so startled at her anger, but I get it now. And I think for this character, when she was at the sink crying, it's almost how the girl I work with was at. She was almost close to tears because of the anger of the marginalization. And this girl's only 33 years old. Right. But you know what? 33 is old enough that you've been marginalized for a good a good amount of time. Yeah. And there's that historic pain that I'm sure she connects with. And I was so startled when it happened, but I thought, why am I so startled? That anger is out there. And again, we have to focus on, and I really thought this movie did it beautifully on what brings us together than what divides us. All right, speak more about that because you got further in it than I did. So You mean you really didn't watch the movie, but we'll move on. No, no, I saw what I needed to see. You go on. I want to talk about Divine Joy Randolph. Okay. She grew up in Mount Airy neighborhood of Philadelphia. She went to Temple University to focus on classical vocal performance and opera. But in her junior year, she switched to musical theater. After graduating from Temple, she went to Yale School of Drama. She graduated from Yale in 2011 with her master's degree. That's not an easy program. No, it's not. And she is an alumni of the British Drama Academy. Did yeah. you know that about her? I did no. not know that about her. I mean, she is, I mean, if credentials were key to success, I mean, she'd be queen of the world. The Philly native and Temple alum has played Oda Mae Brown, so it does go back to that marginalization of the character, in the musical Ghost, which earned a 2012 Tony nomination. She also is in one of my favorite shows, Only Murders in the Building, and she now is an Oscar favorite for her latest role as Mary Lamb in The Holdovers. I thought she portrayed the character sensibly, sensitive, very sensitive. But the one thing I liked too was when the uh, they drove her up to see her sister. <laughs> and I thought that was very healing. And I liked the fact that when they were in the bedroom laughing together and the sister is pregnant, that the husband looked in and thought, oh God, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and of course you remember that situation, you know, with your mother and her sister. You get, you get them together and they're talking and they're healing. And instead of being angry that her son passed away, she started putting the clothes into her daughter's top drawer of her son's baby clothes, which brought me to tears. It's all about healing and trying to be happy for each other. And I guess that's, I know it sounds corny, but that's where I think we need to go in terms of, I, I really was really startled about what happened last week. And I, I think 10 years ago, I would have lectured her. And I, I said, look, I, I get it. She, it. It really tugged at my heart how angry she was at being, she's probably thinking, I can't even park now without some white woman trying to cut me off. Yeah. And and I, I really felt her pain. And when I watched this character, I could really feel their pain. I was never marginalized because I was a beautiful white woman, but I was marginalized economically of never being able to keep up. So I know that pain in a different way. Is that fair? Right. I think there is something to be said for recognizing that we're not in the grief Olympics. You know, sometimes we just need to recognize that circumstances in life has created different opportunities and different obstacles for different kinds of people. And it takes empathy and understanding and awareness to recognize that, yes, some people have had it worse, but it doesn't mean that your pain isn't doesn't hurt 
that your suffering, your tears are any less salty and, and your anguish isn't any less deep. And that's tough. It's tough because when you're in the midst of it, it's hard to see outside of it. And that's how I think some of these divisions persist is that, you know, you've you've maintained the theme throughout this conversation is that there's so much that brings us together. And I think the movie tries to capture this as well. And that's what I think's lacking in Philadelphia. There's so many different little, you know, fighting and just and as I said, we talk about Philadelphia, but just as country in general, we've become almost like the Civil War now. And I, I don't like that. And I like us to get back to trying to acknowledge who we are, be respectful and work together for a good outcome, which is, I think, is what the movie did. He and I don't I don't know how far you got near the end, but finally, Tolly was called down to the president, excuse me, the principal's office. And they found out that Paul Giamatti's character let him go see his father who was suffering from mental illness. And Paul Giamatti's character lied for the student and got thrown out of the building and was fired after 30 some years. And when he drives, you know, when he's talking to this character, he said, you're going to be OK and you're going to make it keep pushing. And I thought, you know, that's kind of what it becomes, no matter what age, what race. We all get hit down by so many things. But is and then here he pulled away and just started driving away to a school that he's been in his whole lifetime. And I thought, you know, it was really great that his character, instead of playing it safe, jumped in and saved someone. Yeah, but I think there's another element to that to that scene. And that is that the school, his safe space was actually the thing that was limiting his growth. A hundred percent. I think, you know, superficially like, oh, my God, the man just lost his job. He lost, you know, everything that he had valued. But sometimes it's a thing that you think is the most important thing in your life that turns out to be. That turns out to be the albatross around your neck. When it you, can be yeah, when you stop agreed. growing. It's when you stop growing. And I think he had stopped growing. And I think in, in some ways it was the best. It's 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 the victory that is seized from tragedy. I think too, talking to the teenage boy Tolly, I think when they were walking through Boston and talking and laughing, I think it captured a part of himself that he had forgotten about. And he realized at this point he kind of had his shot, but I think he wanted to get back to who he used to be. Not that you can go back to who you were as a teenager, but try to just step out of that box and to do something great again. And I, I do believe his character probably would have gone on to do something great again. He mentioned going to Greece and finally traveling. I love this movie, minus what you said, and rightly so, you know, it, the 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 minstrel show of her character. But I thought Mary Lamb was a very great character in terms of being nurturing, but also feeling her pain at the same time over things in life that we all can't control. And I'll admit, perhaps it's an oversensitivity on my part. Like I said, the, the character portrayal itself, is, it's brilliant. It's well done. I mean, I had no idea that this actress had such amazing credentials. And it makes perfect sense now when you see the way she delivers on, I was going to say on stage, but the way she delivers on screen. It's, it's absolutely brilliant work, but it's that we bring our baggage to the table, right? Paul Giamatti brought, you know, his pain to the table. Uh, Mary brought her pain to the table. Angus brought his pain to the table. And I think as the viewer, you know, sometimes we think of, we forget to negotiate a relationship as viewers with what's taking place on the screen. I'm bringing my own baggage to the table. I'm bringing my own sensitivities. And I'm wondering what is the message being conveyed by using this particular actress looks this particular way to my own detriment because I'm nullifying the quality of her artistry. 
with these kinds of prejudices. But, but again, it's you're entitled to feel. I guess it's more like we're all entitled to feel the way we do, but we don't have to make a device in terms of you and I talk. Like, I have to respect how you feel. Yeah. If that makes sense. And for me, I wanted to make sure as a man, you weren't projecting onto her because you didn't find her attractive. Mm-mm. It's not that. It's it's about it's about the context in which that a black actress on screen who has those physical features. It's Wait, historic- when you say those physical features, <laughs> well, I mean she's heavy. She, well, no, I mean uh, let's be honest. She's heavy. Um, there are two. You you have to understand it, as I was alluding to. There's there's kind of like this binary representation of black women historically in media up until very recently. You have the Jezebel, you have the Halle Berry thin, light skin, probably biracial, the sexual seductress type, and then you have the Mammy, the maternalistic, heavy set, um, often dark skinned, but not exclusively dark skinned woman who is very antiseptic sexually in terms of her femininity. Like she's just there to be the nurturer and protect her but like you it's almost as if she's like a Ken doll she is you know she's there but like you can't conceive of her having genitals for instance you know if that's not too graphic and I think that is a disservice to black women my critique of it is not a condemnation of her because of the way she looks it's the context in which that character has evolved within American media and what it represents that I'm attacking I'm not attacking necessarily the way she looks. I mean, they're heavyset white women, they're heavyset black women, but unfortunately, within the way American media has been constructed since, you know, 1619 and the portrayal of black women, um, there has been an attempt to either set them up as over-sexualized, animalistic, ravenous, lascivious um, creatures, or this asexual, antiseptic, sans-genital creatures that are just there to nurture white people and white children. And cook for them. And cook for them. And make and them clean. Feel, and yeah. Cl- yeah, so that's where I'm coming from. It's, yes, of course, she, the actress looks the way she looks. And, and I'm not being critical of that. It is the trope that I'm attacking. Because, yes, you, you can have heavyset white women, you can have heavyset black women, but unfortunately, heavyset black women carry a certain amount of baggage when when their characters are represented on screen. You know what, Nicholas, when you're right, you're right. Okay. And I, I like I said, I realize this is perhaps a little bit overwrought. And, you know, anyone who's listening to this on social media, uh, listening to this can reply to us on social media and say, hey, Nick, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> uh, which is fair. I, you know, no. I have my impressions, but, you know, there's also a historic legacy that I, I don't think we can deny. And I think it's important, you know, that Lupita Nyong'o cannot be the only dark-skinned woman who is portrayed as a sex object on screen, or at least has a degree of sexuality, because that's falling into another trap, another trope, if you will, where women are just objects, you know, to for sort of prurient interests. She was interviewed. Divine Joy Randolph was interviewed by the Philadelphia Inquirer. And the question was, and I'm very excited. She was asked with Bradley Cooper and Coleman Domingo also getting recognition for their roles in Maestro and Rustin. It's shaping up to be a very Philly Oscars. So we were ahead of our time, Nicholas. We, 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 and not we, you. You call this. This was this this whole theme of um, media representation of Philadelphia in film and television. I guess film for Oscar season 
this was this was all you. So I'm giving you all the credit on this one. And her answer, I love it. It's looking good for Philly. It's like sports. If the Phillies are doing good, we know we're going to have a good season with the Sixers and the Eagles. When we win, we win across the board. I would proudly be included in that number with those distinguished gentlemen and rep my city. I'm very proud of who we are and where I come from. And I say amen. That was beautifully stated. Hey, Marie. Yes. Who's our sponsor this week? Springfield Alehouse Delco. 773 West Sprawl Road, Springfield, Delaware County. The best appetizers and drinks, bartenders, waitstaff, and owners in Delaware County, Montgomery County, and Chester County. Their philosophy is don't just stay for a cocktail, warm friends, hang out, hot food, and grab a bite. Follow them on Facebook or Instagram. Their phone number is 484-472-6742. We need to do a podcast from there. Let's do it, boss. I'm going to make Kelly cook and service drinks. That will go over well. That'll go over very well. <laughs> I think I think this is your most brilliant idea yet. Please remember to subscribe to The White Bikini on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And please make sure to follow us on Instagram at The White Bikini. Thank you for joining us today.